Hey folks, Brian here. We had a couple little technical difficulties with the show this week, and uh, specifically involving my audio. I was recording someplace new with some foreign equipment, and so it doesn't sound as good as it normally would, so my apologies for that. We'll be better next time. Thanks. just got back today it's the dc3 cast thank you guys for joining us i am brian with me as always are zach and vince sorry for missing the show last week boys i know you handled it uh admirably but i was i was wow wow no i'm saying wow. I'm sure you guys, i know you guys did a great job but i missed being here as i was saying i feel like i just got backhanded no no not at all not at all i was saying you guys don't need me but i missed the show that's all Whew. I mean, we well, lost. That was the show. Bye, everyone. We lost, uh, we, we lost a lot of subscribers. I'm just saying. You know, um, but, you know, but that's not that's not on you guys. It was a bad week. That's it. That's all. Oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. Now nah, it's good to be back. Thank you guys for holding on the fort while I was dealing with family stuff. Um, we are here to talk about the DC Comics released on the 27th of March, 2019. Um, we don't really have any news to talk about other than Jonathan Hickman writing the X-Men, but we're not going to talk about that tonight. Uh, maybe some other time. But we're going to talk about a bunch of comics, and uh, just to get this out of the way, we're going to go through our lists before we begin. So this week on The Good List, and remember, the books in the lists we don't talk about. So The Good List is Martian Manhunter and The Flash. The OK List is Freedom Fighters and Wonder Woman. The Bad List is Justice League Odyssey. The New Age of Heroes list has the silencer on it. The Sandman Universe list has uh, Books of Magic. The Vertigo list has Goddess Mode and Hex Wives. And the Jurgens list has Batman Beyond. Um, <laughs> but, but to be fair, the Doc Shaner list also has Batman Beyond on it. That so. is also true. And uh, we maybe should introduce the Doc Shaner list as a new thing going forward. I would not fight that <laughs> decision if we go with that. Um, and the, the Brian Bendis list is empty because we're going to be talking about the, the only Bendis book of the week uh, in further detail soon. But we're going to start off by talking about Detective Comics number 1000. Um, should we just go through each of these stories and talk about them? I would love that. <laughs> I think that is the only way to do this. Okay. So first up, we have Batman's Longest Case, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Greg Capullo. Um, I am really interested to hear what you guys say about this. I've seen a lot of polarizing opinions about this story. So, Zach, why don't you start us off here? This might be my favorite story of the issue. Okay. I, th I think. It's between... I, no, I actually, I think it might be. Um, I like the artwork a lot. I like the way it's laid out. It's not really a story, 
which I guess is the biggest knock against it. But the ending is very fun. We see the Dibneys for the first time in what feels like a hundred years. Um, Which, by the way, <laughs> Sue Dibney looks nothing like Sue Dibney. Oh, nothing at all. You Not at all. Know. You Not never at all. know it was Sue Dibney. Never, you would never know. But um... And also, Ralph looks like Alfred E. Newman. Like, <laughs> there's very little that's, uh, that's, that's Ralph-y about that either. We just know who it is because we know the detectives of the DC universe. Right, right. Um, this is a book I would read forever. Um, this is very good. Uh, yeah, I, I think it might be my favorite. So there's nowhere else to go but down. <laughs> Vince, what did you think of this uh, the story? Yeah, I liked it a lot too. I don't I don't think it's my favorite. I also don't. Uh, think... I already changed my mind. I forgot about one. Yeah, it's my I... second favorite. Okay. I was flipping through it and I knew there was one I was forgetting, but yeah, it's my second favorite. It's it's definitely in the top three of like three stories I liked in this thing. Not to tip my hand, but um, but it, it's yeah it. I mean, there, there was nothing wrong with it. It looked really nice. It was nice to have Snyder and Capullo uh, paired together again. It's not really a story. Um, but if, you know, if it were like a pitch for or like a pilot for a future book about the Guild of Detection, that would be that would be pretty great, I think. And I think that that would be something that, you know, these anniversary issues used to hint at major stories uh, that were going to happen in the future. Vince, this one does. Well, it does. We'll get we'll get to that eventually. But uh, but but it'd be nice if there were a couple instances of that in this issue. And and this is such a tantalizing uh, team that I think I I would like to see it again too. Um, and I like the idea that all these characters who are not only de- detectives in their own way, but like they were all. Um, with the exception of Detective Chimp, they were they all had backup stories in Detective Comics throughout its history. So, you know, not only are they detectives, but like th- th- they these are probably the characters that had the longest run alongside Batman in the history of of tech. So, um, it's it's that's a fun Easter egg for people who know the history of the book and um. And yeah, and 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 just the idea that again, there's some secret history that that Batman's not privy to, and this is him discovering it, is also very Snyder, and 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 he fits that theme in here in a way that I is not like uh, tiresome or contrived. I don't I don't think. I think it's a lot of fun to show Batman. Um, outside of his comfort zone, a little, you know. <laughs> Yeah, Brian, what do you think? This is also my second favorite story in the in the book. I wonder if we all have the same favorite. Um, I'm gonna guess we do, but we'll see. I'm gonna guess that... we don't. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm gonna guess we don't. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, okay then. Well, I guess I'll go fuck myself, but we'll see. Yeah, you will. Um, <laughs> you will. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I um, yeah, I think that like including Slam Bradley here is the most Snyder thing you can do. Just like taking a, a somewhat unknown to the modern audience, but very important to the history of tech character and finding a way to 
put him into current DC mythology is is an incredibly Snyderian move. Um, yeah, without the racism too, so that was <laughs> nice. Well, to be fair, give it some time. <laughs> that might come back. Um, no, I thought this was a, a fun issue. I love, like you said, I think it was Vince that said it, like the tantalizing lineup of this team is is pretty great. You know, the Hawks, the Dibneys, uh, the Question, Slam Bradley, Batman, and Bobo. I mean, that's that's these that's DC three cast nip right there. You know, um, it's not really a story. And it's also one of those things where if you think too hard about it, it just makes no sense. But that's okay. Um, you know, that's fine. This was fun. This was probably the most um, self-referential of the stories in here, both in terms of, like you said, Vince, like focusing on people who have had backups in tech in the past, but also just focusing on detectives um, you know, it, it, it's a it's a little maybe hokey in that regard, but that's okay. This was fun and enjoyable, and I have no objection to anything in this. Uh, Capullo should draw Batman forever, even though he won't. All right. Uh, next up, we have to quote a CBR exclusive: um, the origin of the bat symbol. Absurd. <laughs> Which yeah. was. Written by everyone's favorite bat writer, Kevin Smith, and illustrated by James Lee, uh, Jim Lee, to friends. Snoogans. Yeah. Um, th- this is this is a big bowl enough thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, I I just I just really don't like Jim Lee's art either. I hate to say, but like, I just think everything. I just think everything looks really ugly. Everybody's got bad haircuts and <laughs> just, I don't know. It's so it's so um, predictable in, in this time and place. Although, like the idea behind, like Bruce melting down the gun that killed his parents to then use as protection for him. That's not a, on its surface, that's not a terribly stupid idea. It, it, it's not a good idea, but it's not one of the more absurd things we've seen Bruce do over the last couple of years. Um, but this story is just, it's just, it's not written great. And it's illustrated in that, um, like, you know, everyone is an ugly male model style that is jim lee's artwork yeah do you uh do you think the guy who sold bruce the gun is is chaz from action comics oh (laughs) (laughs) well well now chaz has a a jerry curl you're right and this man has a man bun so yeah (laughs) um not only that he didn't sell anything to bruce he sold something to matches oh you're right right, you're right wait a minute yeah that's right. Who's this Madges Malone guy? I don't know. He shows up an awful lot. Yeah, for somebody that has no relation to Batman, I'm not sure why he's in this comic. Yeah. Um. I guess they're just really good friends. 
This time, this is just for Walter Richardson, <laughs> who doesn't who doesn't even listen to our show. But. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh. yeah. I don't. Yeah, like <laughs> the, the the weapon seller is just like, yeah, he's just like one of those epic Facebook guys who, <laughs> like, tells you tries to get you to do a pyramid scheme to so that you can have a sob or something in your in your in your garage you know i I bought this in three months by using by reading books or whatever you know see i kind of took it as this was like the gotham version of pawn stars yeah well this guy's much much more attractive than anyone on pawn stars (laughs) hey love is in the eye of the beholder Mm -hmm. beauty i guess that's beauty not love yeah Love, love is blind whatever um, yeah, but 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 to be clear, this is not the origin of the bat symbol. It's the origin no. of a hunk of metal that sits behind the bat symbol that no one ever knew about until right now, <laughs> right. and will never be referenced again. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Well, let's move on to the Legend of Newt Brody, written by Paul Dini, illustrated by Dustin Wynn. Boys, this is my favorite story in the issue. It's also my favorite story in the issue. It's not my favorite. Okay. So you're wrong, Brian. Okay, yeah. <laughs> A theme of the night, apparently. So, <laughs> got him. Yeah. Yep, got him. <laughs> um, Get his ass. This is this is a lot of fun. Essentially, and I don't know, I haven't read enough Batman in sequential order to know if Newt Brody is a thing that I'm just forgetting happened. Or if it's a new, I think it's a new creation for this issue. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, but essentially, I've read a thousand issues of Detective Comics. I don't remember him anywhere. It's um, it's essentially the Matches Malone that is shared throughout the entire Bat family, and is used to fuck up criminal enterprises. It's pretty fun. This this story. It's really fun and. I miss Dustin Wynn on Bat Books so much. Um, I don't want to say he's my favorite Bat artist, but I think he is like the the for me. He's kind of like the closest equivalent to Scott Collins on Flash. Mm. He's not my favorite, but he just every feels time, right. He just feels right, and I'm all like I will always enjoy a a comic that he a bat comic that he's working on by the way i just realized that snyder story is my third favorite story in the issue <laughs> just scrolling ahead and realize something's going up so um but yeah so i in this in this issue basically we see all the different ways that newt has messed up various uh criminal schemes and uh every member of the bat family except for damien has played Newt at some point uh, in in his history, and it, again, this is a totally inconsequential story, but it's a lot of fun. Well, Damien's Newt Brody Jr., of course. Of course, he is. Yeah. Um, anything to add to this, Zach? Um, no, no, not really. I mean, it's very good. It was a lot of fun. It was my favorite story in the issue. Um, All right, so up next, we have The Batman's Design, written by Warren Ellis and illustrated by Becky Cloonan. 
Um, I'm just going to come out and say it. I don't like this story at all. This was, I think, the most disappointing story. This was my favorite story. <laughs> Is that purely based on the Clunan art? Because the Clunan art's great. Yeah, the Clunan art's great, but but the story... I mean, the the reason I like it so much is because from the get-go, I imagine that the, that the story itself and the writing is kind of an ironic joke by, by Warren Ellis. And if you look at it from that perspective, then, then it's a lot. Of, I mean, you, you might not, your mileage will vary, but I got a lot of, I got like a jolt out of, Ellis writing this like hard ass, hard nosed Batman, uh, bragging about how he's not he's not really killing anybody, but he's obviously like wrecking these people. <laughs> you know, it's he's almost, just paralyzing them. Yeah, it's it's and and to me, if you read that as an ironic joke about how, uh, you know, Batman has this no kill rule, but he's going around like clearly crippling people all the time. Like there's one scene where something blows up and this bad guy goes flying in this and it's like, "Well, okay, he's actually dead." <laughs> you know, like that. Right. And and so the guy is like literally stepping on an exploding box and gets launched like clear what is clearly like a football field away. And so you're it, so you're saying this story refutes Zack Snyder. We'll it get exonerates to that. him. But what I but in that very panel where the guy is stepping on this exploding box, Batman is saying this won't kill him. There's no way that that's not a joke. And and taking it as that I I really enjoyed it because it cuts to the the sort of um hypocrisy hypocrisy is like a like a strong word, but you know, people write Batman as this, you know, he's got this code of honor where he won't kill anyone but he's going around essentially essentially killing several people all the time and yeah it, it was perfect in a week where we had the uh the, the Zack snyder argument uh online where he's like uh if you don't fucking think batman should uh, fucking kill people grow up or whatever he said you know i think he actually said like even as an even dumber thing which like if you don't believe that he does kill yeah. And grow up and like, well, no, I just read the source material and right. I know he doesn't kill. So and also he's a fictional character. So uh, I, yes. I just I just get upset that that story overshadowed the real Zack Snyder story of the week. <laughs> that <laughs> that he once considered making oh. Martha Wayne and Martha Kent the same, same person. person. Yes. Yes. Oh man, uh, could you imagine Batman and Superman as freaking brothers? i wish you had some like goofy music to play right here like the only reason that would have been good is you could have seen a mug on her desk that one of them gave her that says world's finest mother (laughs) that is that is literally the only good (laughs) that's pretty good i know it is Uh, thank you come up with that on your own i just now yes oh wow that's great brian you're a gem thank you see without Uh, you we wouldn't have had that (laughs) uh no I, i fucking hated this story um I I hope you're right in the way that you read it, Vincey, but it just to me it just read like Batman torture porn. <laughs> and uh yeah, I didn't did not care for it. 
Yeah. That's fair. I, I get that. I, I just, I was laughing the whole time. And if, if that wasn't the intent, then that's too bad. But that, that is the level I enjoyed it on. And, sure. And it worked, you know? Yeah. Um, Zach, anything to add? Mm-mm. I didn't, I mean, as usual, I'm somewhere between the two of you. <laughs> um, but what a fun, sexy time for you. Yeah, no, it is. Um, yeah, I just really didn't think much of this issue. I, I, I didn't dislike it mostly because the art was really good. Um, but it, it just kind of happened. It, to me, it was just preposterously silly that that Batman would have <laughs> like a warehouse that is ready to blow at any minute that he just keeps to lure criminals into to not quite kill them. He's always prepared. Especially because it's, it's been established that only Damien does that in the future. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, well, up next we have uh, Return to Crime Alley, written by Denny O'Neill, illustrated by Steve Epting. Uh, this is, depending on how you read the story that we just talked about, this is the most cynical story in the in the book. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, Bruce is a big old asshole. <laughs> yeah, um, this this story basically says that being Batman is bad, and oh, that oh, it's not the only well, <laughs> huh? It's not the only it's story. Not the that only says... one that does that. No, that's true. That's true. Um, Guys, I've been saying it for literal months, maybe years now. Have you been saying it really quickly? Very fast. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. But no, I, I, let me rephrase that so that we're not confusing it with uh, with an excellent episode of The Simpsons from years ago. Um, this is the first one that says that being Batman is a mistake. Yeah. Um. And I think that Leslie is the right character to be saying that to Bruce. And I thought this was a, a really not it's not great because Denny O'Neill is about as subtle as a hammer to the face with his dialogue. But I think that overall this was an interesting story to put in this issue. Like, this is an odd story for an anniversary celebrating Batman. But for that reason I enjoyed it. You guys? Zach, um, yeah, I I would agree. It um, <laughs> Batman is problematic, and uh, <laughs> this issue, this chat, this story actually does a better job of highlighting that than the the main story that is supposed to highlight that. <laughs> Vince. Yeah, I um here's my problem with it. I I I think the concept is fine. I think the execution is a little weird cuz I think like, well, first of all, this Leslie Tompkins is the, 900 years old. <laughs> is the Leslie Tompkins from like you know, with the new 52 and maybe even a little before that, they they de-aged her pretty pretty good somewhere along the way 
the Leslie Tompkins from like the seventies, maybe the eighties, I want to say was basically like a little old lady like this. So it's weird to go back to, I mean, I guess that's the Leslie Tompkins that Denny O'Neill wrote back in the day. So that makes sense. But visually it's weird that, that she's like that now in this story, but it's, you know, after 80 years of comics, you're going to end up with lots of different versions of these characters and, and, and who cares which one they're talking about, you know, really doesn't matter. The, the heart of the matter is, um, I a think bad, uh, a bad, um, Don Henley song. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think there's truth to, to, to her take on this. And the problem for me is that this Bruce, and it's, it's a valid interpretation, but it's one that I really don't like. And so it bounces off of me. It, like this Bruce is an absolute fascist, you know? he doesn't see any chance for redemption for these people, you know? And, and he says something towards the end about, you know, you feel sorry for these people, you know? And, mm-hmm. and, and he, he's implying that he doesn't. And, and, you know, like I said, that's a valid, there are versions of Batman that are like that, but I like a more well-rounded Batman. You know, I think if we're, if I'm going to read Batman for the rest of my life, I prefer to read one who's, um, not a sociopath. Not a sociopath. Not a fascist. Um, I mean, I guess no matter what, Batman. <laughs> the idea of Batman is 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 fascist in some way, but like not not the like uh, hard ass on crime. Uh, I I decide whether you've broken the rule or not. You know, mm-hmm. like my Batman is always one that cares about people cares about his family and puts criminals in Arkham or in the care of the Gotham PD because he thinks that there's that redemption is possible or that, especially for these petty ones, you know, it's not like, it's not like this is the Joker, right? Yeah. Like I could see him saying there's no way to feel sorry for the Joker, but like these are just some guys in like clown masks you know, I don't know. It's, it's not, it, it's a valid interpretation of the character, but it's one that I do not like reading. That's fair. Uh, up next is heretic written by priest illustrated by Neil Adams. Um, Homer, I was heretic. Homer, the heretic. <laughs> these are all <laughs> Simpsons titles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I was talking to recent guest on the show, Walt Richardson, earlier today, and I said that I have no idea if this is a good story or not because Neil Adams' art is so bad that I it, oh. it could it could be like Shakespeare underneath it. I wouldn't know. You mean you don't like that Batman is crashing into somebody's car with another car while he's leaping on top of that car? <laughs> no, I don't. I also don't like how. Batman essentially looks like a. Uh, a whenever Batman is talking in this, he looks like he has the world's worst dentures in his mouth. It's like giant white teeth. Um. Yeah, it's uh. This is just not a good, not a well drawn comic, and I think that Priest does as good of a job as he can, given the. I guess 
constraints put on him by Neil Adams, but this, you know, I said that and then I instantly forgot what the story was even about. So, what did you guys think of this? It's about the dangers of capitalism. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and it's good. No, it's it wasn't very good. And I'm I'm it's wild that at the end this little caption says the beginning. Yeah, I was like, no. oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Which I can only think, knowing priest, that all that means is that some future arc of Deathstroke is gonna somehow uh intertwine with this in some really intricate way. Yeah. And that this can't possibly be like a an actual like Batman arc or mini that we're gonna get at some point. <laughs> There are two bits in this that I found very interesting, which was that Priest essentially writes like Neil Adams does here in two ways. Mm. Like having Bruce Wayne show up with Gordon, like with a cup of coffee at a crime scene is something right out of a Neil Adams Batman story. Um, But even the way that he had Dick, I presume it's Dick and not Tim or... Do we know what Robin this is supposed to be? I assumed it was Dick. Yeah. The way he says, like, the card from the old foundation might have been a kid when he got it, and you, maybe my age. That's exactly how Neil Adams writes. <laughs> Neil Adams writes everybody like they're Bill, like they're Bill Shatner. And, um, <laughs> like, Priest does that here. And I wonder if that was, like, a little hat tip to him, or if it's just that, uh... Like, when you're looking at Neil Adams' art, that's how you have to write. Yeah. yeah. There are going to be people that that absolutely love it on that level. Sure. But that's not me. Yeah. Uh, Next up, we get the Brian Bendis, Alex Maleev story. What's this one called? It is Uh, called... Hang on. It's called I Know. I, I take it back. This is the most disappointing issue or chapter, I think. I thought this one was, was fine. I didn't think it was anything great, but I didn't think it was as disappointing as some of the other ones in this story. Or in this book, rather. Why was it so disappointing for you? I I, I just didn't care for it, and I I expected more from from the great one. <laughs> That this and the Ellis one are particularly disappointing to me just because I had such high hopes for them and they were just okay. Vince, what say you? I just don't. Yeah. It, this, this wasn't, this wasn't great to me. And I guess I just don't totally get, or buy, maybe I'm a dumbass, but <laughs> uh, maybe I just don't like buy or get, this idea that Penguin knew his identity and didn't didn't do anything with it. Um, it like it just doesn't make sense the way it's presented, you know. Um, I I think I agree. See, it's it's funny you say that. I think it's a dumb idea that Penguin would know his identity, but I think the reasons that Bendis lays out for why he didn't actually have a lot of internal logic to them. Okay, explain that. Okay, so Penguin is essentially like the scummiest scumbag of Gotham, right? Where like he's he's probably not the biggest the most violent 
offender, but he's but he's, he's he's a scumbag of a guy. And when he realizes that Bruce Wayne is Batman, he realizes that Bruce Wayne is a person who has like a moral compass to him, and that that the Bruce that the part of Batman that is Bruce Wayne is what present what prevents Batman from going full on like you know militia fascist on Gotham City. And so it's it's Wayne's humanity that tethers Batman, and that's what keeps Penguin alive. Because if anyone other than Bruce Wayne was under the cowl, they would have gotten sick of Penguin's horse shit years ago and just killed him. And if Bruce Wayne dies, somebody else is going to take up the mantle of Batman because it's too effective not to. And so you're going to get the fascist under the under the cowl if Bruce Wayne is dead. Therefore, his like, insurance policy against being killed by Batman was to keep the best man in the cowl. So Bruce Wayne really is Howard Schultz then. Wow, this all <laughs> this, this all makes sense. You Did you let me explain that just to make a Howard Schultz joke? <laughs> Maybe. Wow. Maybe. I'm putting my finger up to my, my mouth right now. Like, like you're like, a bad little boy. Yeah, like maybe like chris farley in uh in billy in billy madison that's correct <laughs> when i like peel off my shirt spanish armada i get it what'd you say spanish yeah armada. Spanish armada. <laughs> yep exactly <laughs> like i said i don't think it's particularly like if there's one character who's gonna figure out who batman is it's not penguin but i understand but I, I think that the story did a good enough job setting the internal logic for that for that thing to be possible i i think um, you explained that really well i still think like my platonic ideal of that idea is the joker knowing who batman is and not sure and not yes. giving it up but every other character would kill to know that who he is and would and would leverage that against him just as like a thematic balance to these characters you know yeah, but I but I get what you're saying, and I think that's a that's a nice explanation of it. Zach, anything else to add? Mm-mm. I I really think the reason that Bendis chose the Penguin as the character to do this with is that he can have him make that like so sound yes. all the time. That's just <laughs> yeah. like it could have been any any villain except for, uh, but you know, no one else would have that fun vocal tick that Bendis would love. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see what the name of this next disappointing story is. Um, this one is called "The Last Crime in Gotham." Yes, "The Last Crime in Gotham." This is written by Jeff Johns. It is illustrated by Vince's favorite artist, Kelly Jones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this was weird. <laughs> It's weird how so many of these characters' bodies both obey and defy gravity. Oh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, this this is not example one when I defend Kelly Jones. <laughs> uh, the 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 first page that you see, sort of the fully assembled Bat family here. The the Bat Cat daughter is like doing the robot. But also, also she was just jokerized <laughs> and she's also tiny but yes. but but an adult she's like she's almost like a young adult or, or maybe like a 20 something but also tiny yeah 
And it still drew a big rack on her because uh, <laughs> that's what Kelly Jones is going to do. Yep. And and Damien looks like Gaston from <laughs> Beauty oh and the Beast. Oh my gosh. I love it. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Damien no, I'm is the selling... Gaston of yeah. the Bat family. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. So if, if Dick is Gaston, Babs is <laughs> obviously Damien Belle. Damien is Gaston. What? Damien's Gaston. Damien's Gaston. Dam- oh, you're right. This is Damien. Okay. Oh, I thought you said Dick. Okay. Um, that's right, because this is Damien. Never mind. Okay, well, if Damien's Gaston, then, well, I guess we don't know who Belle is. Yeah, we don't. It doesn't work. I'd rather Dick be Gaston. Because then, cause then Belle is Babs. And... No... No, it still doesn't work. This, this, I don't think this one's that fruitful. No, I don't think so either. Although I will say that Bat Cow is Lumiere. So. <laughs> Done. Done. Uh, we get a we get a, a Jim Gordon nut face here. <laughs> I sent it to the chat for our readers. It's on uh, well on our in our PDF. It's page sixty five. I don't know what he also looks like an elderly John Popper. <laughs> I just imagine a harmonica around his. Uh... You, you mean like he's wearing a vest with forty harmonicas? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But the hat is perfect, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um. And 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 would you believe it? Who's the villain of this piece? But the son of the fucking Joker. <laughs> and not even the Joker Junior from Adventures of the Super Sons. Well, yeah, not not even. Johns didn't read that seminal run. <laughs> uh, we all know no, that. that that is true. I don't believe that Jeff Johns reads a single DC comic anymore. <laughs> but but Bendis reads all of them. Yes. Yeah, Bendis does, and Johns is a big uh, dynamite fan right now. Okay. He's really into I, what they're doing. Yeah. I was gonna say uh, Belladonna Publishing, but <laughs> they're, uh, the, they're the Cavewoman one, right? I think so. Yes, or, or Lady Death, or something like that. What? Who publishes uh, Tarot Black Rose? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I I just know that's the one that Bleeding Cool always talks about. Here, I don't want to Google it. It's probably Avatar because Avatar owns Bleeding Cool. Oh, that makes sense. So that'd be my guess. Let me. You guys talk amongst yourselves, and I'll figure it out. Okay, uh, we're gonna get now to my second favorite story in the book. It's broadsword uh, comics. It's what? Sorry. It's broadsword comics. Okay. Oh, that's Jim Belent of 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 nineties Catwoman fame. Of titty Catwoman. <laughs> fame. <laughs> Jim Belent loves drawing them. Let me tell you. <laughs> Uh, ah, fuck, it doesn't work. I was going to try and quote Stan Lee from Mall, Mallrats and say, like, he keeps drawing them, I'll keep buying them, but that's not the, <laughs> that's not the Stan Lee quote. <laughs> uh, um, so we have this next story is The Precedent, written by James Tyler IV, illustrated by Alvaro Martinez Bueno. This is my second favorite story in the book. Um, I just think that Tanyan has a really good handle on what makes the Bat family tick 
and does a nice job here of sort of setting up why it made sense for there to be a Robin at all and a Dick Grayson in in specifics. And it's not like a revolutionary story by any means, but I thought it did a really nice job of getting inside of Batman and Alfred's psyche when it came to the various wards and why why they would have put those kids through that. And Martinez Bueno is great. Zach, take it away. Cause I know you go first. Um, I had nothing against this story. It was just kind of another like non-story for me. Um, it, it didn't do anything particularly interesting. I, I don't think it, it, it highlighted things that we are all already very familiar with. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that point, Zach, and it's a larger point that I wanted to make about about Batman and an anniversary issue about him and DC Comics, which is that um which is that there there is so little territory in Batman's history that's not been mined to death. Um it it, it is so um tiring to see like batman's origin done over and over again with slight variations um the origins of each robin to a lesser extent but that is definitely well-worn territory too but what i also want to say is that tinyan is so good at writing the bat family apparently which we we learned that in detective comics but that didn't really include dick right right and it turns out he's really good at dick too so like what what i want more than anything is i want the bat family to progress forward because my favorite time ever reading dc comics was when dick was batman and bruce was also batman and damien was on the come up and uh um Stephanie was running around as Batgirl and there were all the, you know, the, 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 the Bat family was young and fresh and they had futures and, you know, we were excited about seeing where they went and then they hit the reset button on that. And then with Tynion's detective run, there was so much promise for these characters that we hadn't seen in a long time. You know, uh, we got Cass back, we got Steph Brown back, um, you know, like great clay face, a great clay face. So not only do I just want Tynion back because this is clearly a sweet spot for him, you know, but I just, I want, I want the idea of, of what comes next for Batman and the Bat family. I I'm tired of looking back at history. Now this was really well done. And this was one of three stories in this, in this anthology that I, that I really liked. Um, I'd say this is either my, my second or third favorite. I, I didn't rank them other than the, the Ellis one being my ironic fave, my problematic fave. But, but it just highlights to me, like how done I am with the Batman of the past and how much I want somebody like Tynion, if not Tynion himself guiding the future of the family. Cause the, the bat family is the most exciting thing about that character. 
Are you clapping for me, Brian? Is that what that no. is? No. <laughs> no, but but I agree with you. Okay. <laughs> I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and that last page, the last page of of uh, Bruce and Dick like leaping and then doing the oath, the yeah. candle, beautiful stuff. But again, again, we've seen that exact image like a dozen times. Um. But it's really nice. So. I also love that uh, becoming Robin is essentially joining the mafia in terms of uh, <laughs> what you have to physically do. Well, and when you're once you're a made man, you get whacked. So that's true. All the Robins have been whacked. And... <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to Batman's Greatest Case, written by Tom King, illustrated by Tony Daniel and Joel Jones. I'm gonna let you guys take this away. <laughs> Because I'm just going to say fart. I mean, I really don't have anything else to say. <laughs> You're going to make me do it then. I don't want to. I, ugh. It's so fucking bad. It's it's awful. First of all, he, he makes the most likable members of the Bat family totally unlikable. Let's just start there. Mm-hmm. So remember what I just said about the Bat family being like young and exciting and adding some element to Batman that that he's missing himself and that I want to see them progress forward. Yeah, <laughs> not like this. <laughs> um, what you said about likable characters becoming annoying. Nobody has ever said that Dick Grayson is an annoying character, but between this and the issues that led up to him getting shot in King's Batman run. He has been written by a character that is as a character that is so unbearable to read that you do not want him around. You don't want to read him. You don't want him injecting himself into every conversation. You actually want KGBs to shoot him in the head. <laughs> and that's nobody has ever said that about Dick before. And uh and just the fact that that Babs and Kate are arguing, you know, like Babs is, how do I say this? King, King is, is writing them like children, you know? Yes. I cannot imagine either of these very important characters giving a shit. Well, also, did I mean, did you guys, I think Vince, it might've been you who, uh, no, it wasn't you. Um, because obvious reasons. La 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 la. On Twitter, <laughs> someone made <laughs> a post about this. <laughs> about this oh, panel. Uh, he was probably Do either of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I, yeah, we'll say it was him. It's true. Um, it, it wasn't him. He might have retweeted it. Um, <laughs> It's not someone I follow, but it was a retweet just talking about how dumb and bad this panel is on a lot of different levels. Um, one, because, yeah, like, Babs would never say any of these things. And then also the fact that, like, Kate is a, a gay character who was kicked out of the military for that. <laughs> and... Yep. And Babs definitely knows that. Yeah. Don't you also get the feeling that Batgirl and Batwoman are just what other people call them, but they're never like, hey, I'm Batwoman. 
I mean, that gets into a whole other discussion about there are some writers that write it that way and there are other writers that write it. You know, there are some writers that think that these names are just things that people call them. And there are some writers that think that they call one another this stuff, you know? Yeah. I firmly believe that Batman calls himself Batman and that probably the Robins call themselves Robins. I think most of their bat names have been given to them by somebody else and they just stuck. Mm-hmm. Anyway. But you were saying, Zach. Well, it's just... It's the kind of, like, writing that we are also getting in Heroes in Crisis that I feel like King thinks is really witty. Um, I'm told he says this stuff out loud to make sure that it sounds like... Well, then you have the panel above that. (laughs) Yeah, you have the panel above that that's, like, Tim and Steph, and it's Mm -hmm. also bad. Yeah. About making out a little bit? Yeah. I mean, that is... Yes, that is a person who thinks that that is how really witty bantery people talk they just throw things like a little bit into in you know or you know this is a maze balls or whatever <laughs> you know like it's somebody's idea of somebody talking wittily yeah actually every single one of these character interactions is bad mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah yeah D- making uh... a joke about how duke has nothing to do because DC and its writers have found nothing for him to do. And because his book keeps getting pushed back, you know, it's just not. And, and I would forgive some of this if, if it were the least bit funny at all. Um, but it's really not. It's, it's really annoying. Um, And and this isn't how people talk. And if you're doing if you're doing dialogue and you're and you're saying it to yourself to make it so, to make sure it sounds realistic, I can't imagine. Oh God, that that page of Bruce standing in front of the the um like the gravesite, and it's just littered with <laughs> dialogue bot with mm-hmm. with everybody's inane dialogue. Every, and you don't know who's talking half the time. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the very first page where it's just that thing where he just goes in circles. Yeah. Um, and it, it very vague circles. There's, like, a, a very, like, common thing in manga. And I don't know if it's just, like, a translation thing. Like, we don't have a way in English of denoting this, like, specific thing. Um, but there's a lot of times where a character will be talking about something important, but but refer to it very vaguely like it'll be like oh but they don't know about that thing or yes you know you know what i'm talking sure. about yeah absolutely yeah yep. and it's it's always like a very specific thing that i i really do i've never really looked into it but it seems like it may be just like a translational thing but this is like that all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, there are also like really pedantic reasons to think this is dumb like why is huntress there um, but that's, you know, neither here nor there. What struck me the most about this, and I said this to Walt also today, is the idea of a Bat family portrait could have been a really fun story for a book like this. Oh, that's a fantastic idea, yeah. And this is the least enjoyable version of that possible. Mm-hmm. And that just makes it even worse. There are precisely two good panels in this comic. 
One is the one where Dick is saying, nice to see you, kid. Whatever this is, we should do it more often. And yes. Damien says, I agree, Richard. That would be my preference as well. And he's he's, he's like pausing in between words because it, it, he's saying something sweet and he you can tell he doesn't want to. That That's a great little bit. And then the, the actual photo itself is nice. But like all the stuff in between is unbearable. And and that's the heart of the idea right there. Like in that one panel, I I was led to believe for like a second, oh, they like he gets what this is, you know, like Dick and Damien have a fondness for one another and they should do this more and DC should have these characters together more um in in a family fashion, you know? But the but the rest of this is just so unbearable and a waste of really great art. Uh. I mean, great artists. Not that the art. What I don't mean like the art in this comic is particularly great, but I, these are two talented artists. Sure, sure. I'm, I'm not a huge Shonen Daniel guy, but sure. He, yeah, I mean, he has his moments. That that uh, Ace the Bad Hound that he draws in the is terrific. Sure. Just come on, come on. No, yeah, I agree. No, no, I agree. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong about that. And Huntress is there because Huntress is uh, Huntress is a big uh, Detective Comics. She had a backup and um, palled around with the. I mean, she's probably closer to this family than like Steph or Cass, as far as the history of Detective Comics goes. Sure, sure. But 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 then that stands to reason. Like, why are other characters missing? Right. She just seems like a very unusual. Uh, insert when there are so many other characters that aren't there. Like, you would just think, like, Leslie is somebody who makes a lot of sense. Or Lucius. Or... Or Luke Fox. Or Luke Fox, yeah, absolutely. Uh, or the original Batwing. <laughs> David Zavimbi? Yes. I was I was waiting to see if you could pull the last name. <laughs> that was a good run. That was a very good run. Even though Zach hates Ben Oliver. <laughs> yep, I am the historical Ben Oliver hater. Yeah. And uh, historically wrong as well. So, uh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, I actually did mean to bring up, I read um, Donny Cates' uh, Inhumans miniseries that he did with Ariel Olivetti recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in that series, Ariel Olivetti surpassed Ben Oliver. Fuck Whoa. you. That Whoa. is not true. How dare you say that on the DC3 cast, no no less. Uh, Donnie Cates so- comics, DC comics. Oh, that's right. You're, damn. <laughs> we did establish that's canon, yes. Yeah. Okay. Next week, we just randomly just pivot to just talking about Donnie Cates comics, and we forget yeah. we were ever a DC show. <laughs> well, guys, it's time. <laughs> It's time for Peter Tomasi to get medieval on our asses. Uh, <laughs> medieval is the name of this uh, story written by... Heinies, Peter... like an Amish paradise. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir. Um, written by Tomasi, illustrated by Doug Monkey. So, <laughs> I have... What was that? Sorry, I'm still laughing at, at Heinies. That's a, a good joke. It's yeah. a, that's an A-plus joke there. Uh, so, until this was announced, 
I literally never heard of the Arkham Knight before. Because I have not played any of the... Uh... <laughs> You're not in the Gamerverse. No, I'm not in the... <laughs> yeah. I'm not in the Gamerverse, exactly. Uh, it's a nice, nice way to put it there, Zach. Uh, um, yeah, so I so I don't know if this is a good interpretation of the Arkham Knight or a bad interpretation interpretation of the Arkham Knight. All I know is this mess. <laughs> You're very good yourself, Zach, aren't you? I'm only laughing because Vince is still laughing. Brian, if you meet me online by Grub's Tavern, I will show you where the treasure is hidden. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> well, Brian... <laughs> Oh, let it be known. I've had one. Not, I've had one beer <laughs> and, and some CBD oil. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Brian. Yes. This is not the Arkham Knight from the Gamerverse. Okay. <laughs> uh, the concept, the 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 ethos of this character is similar. Where whereas in the Arkham games, the Arkham Knight thinks that Batman uh, doesn't mete out justice the correct way. Sure. You know? okay. So he comes to town and he's going to do it the right way, you know, uh, and he's going to eliminate Batman in the process. Um, but in the Arkham game, he never refers to Batman as Batman. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and, and clearly it's going to be somebody else under the cowl because maybe you know this but it's jason todd in the i i did not know that okay okay i yes. didn't know that either that's twisted oh shit did i spoil that for you zach are you gonna get no, in the game I don't, reverse i don't know i don't know if i'll ever play it i played the first one and liked it but um yeah it's fun i mean it's it's the only game that makes you feel like batman so it's better than um, uh-huh. it's better than better than better breath than breath of the wild, of the wild. yeah it is is it better than Tomb Raider? It's, yeah, I'm gonna say it's better than than Tomb Raider, which is better than Breath of the Wild. Um, mm, interesting. <laughs> uh, I think you know. Are we supposed to think that the Arkham Knight in this case really is like a medieval character, somebody out of time? It's clearly not Jason Todd. It's not going to right, be Jason right, Todd. yeah. Are we meant to think? I mean. Obviously, that's going to be part of the mystery. Is it going to be somebody that we know? Are they are they going to be a real person that we know, or or is it just going to be some new character? I would think a new character only because I don't know. It just doesn't. It seems like it's uh, too dumb to be somebody else. That that takes even more wind out of this, then, because because then there's not even the mystery of who is it under there, you know. Yeah. Yeah, this was really bad though. That last page is. 
I can't believe that's real narration. So this Does issue... anyone want to do a rendition of it? Oh, I think Zach should definitely do a rendition of it. And as he preps for it, I'll say something else. I think we should all say Batman really fast, and whoever slips up and says Batman first <laughs> loses. Okay, ready? Okay, Vince, you go first. All right. Batman, 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 Batman. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Okay, Zach, Zach, Zach okay. Batman, 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 Batman. I think I already did it. Yeah, you did. <laughs> all right, here I go. Batman, Buttman, 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 Buttman. <laughs> Blunt man. <laughs> Blunt man and chronic. There we go. Snoochie Moochie. This is, this is, my theory is this is Kevin Smith. Oh, that he is oh. the Arkham Knight? He's the Arkham Knight. <laughs> He'd be wearing gigantic jorts. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's wearing jorts. Well, we don't have, ever actually see the lower that half of true. him. Here's the question. Does he fuck his wife like, like he's cheating on her? <laughs> No. 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 Is that Kevin Smith or not? That is the surefire Kevin Smith test. I like I like how in the first uh, on the first page of this, he's pwned by her brown and Saint area or whatever. Jesus. I like how on the first page of this, uh, he's doing Porky's the Arkham Knight. He's looking yeah. through the the crack at the yeah. at the fight. Um, stick his who do there. we know? Who do we know who has green eyes? Oh, that's a good call. Yeah. No, it's not. We have no idea. <laughs> Before we get to here, I, I did want to say this issue reminded me of a much worse version of Batman Fifty, where it was just pinups and dialogue on top of the pinups. Mm-hmm. Um, but much worse art and much worse dialogue. Yeah, I liked that more than this for sure. What if this is night? From Night and Squire? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. Breaking Bad? I don't think that's what it is, but I was just trying to... I, I was Googling medieval Batman, and that came up, and I thought, hmm. I just like the idea that this is an just a total Amish paradise riff, because they are going to party like at 1699, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, he he's not wearing any buttons. He does have a cool hat. <laughs> and you could argue that the the bluish hue is just a, a coloring effect and that he is all in black. That mm-hmm. is true. Fool. Fool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> raise the form on Monday. Will he soon raise another? <laughs> Churning lots of butter. <laughs> He's a million times as humble as thou art. <laughs> He's the pious guy the little omelets want to be like. On his knees day he... and night, scoring points for the other life. He's just mad because a local boy kicked him in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> but here's why it's not that, because the Arkham Knight would not turn the other cheek. So <laughs> That's right. We yeah. have just proven our theory. <laughs> <laughs> something something well, it's been one week since we got to see cheating husbands and cousins that marry we're doing other weird al songs now guys yeah oh boy this is garbage 
we just really went off on this. So, okay. So that was bad, right? But I think what's most remarkable about this anniversary issue and what we haven't really talked about yet is how subpar it is overall. This is a really like for 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 your 1000th issue. I mean, I thought Action Comics 1000 had a, had a couple warts here and there, but this is like way worse than that issue was as far as how it represents the character as some sort of celebration. Would you now, agree? Now I'm forgetting a lot of Action 1000 aside from the Bendis story in that. I'm trying to remember what else is in it. Um, well, there was the... Did Jurgens do the, the Superman Day one? Huh? The Superman Day thing. Oh, sideways. Yes. <laughs> sideways day. Yeah. Um, and then didn't Tom King do the weird one where everyone was dead on Earth and Soups was just like okay with it? Yeah. Yes. I mean, there were, there were some bad ones in there, but there were some good ones. I think. I, yeah. I can't remember them, but. I think Jeff Johns did a weird one about the car. The car. I'm looking at this right now. Um, Scott Snyder did one about Superman and Luthor meeting at a planetarium. I don't remember that at all. Uh, yeah, I kind of like that, that one. one. Yeah, that one was okay. Uh, Louis Simons they... did one about like, um, and Jerry Ordway about Clark like ducking in and out of meeting with Perry White to save people. That yep. was good. Yep, I remember that one. There's a Mitzelplick story. There's a Brad Meltzer story about a bullet. Uh, yeah. Did, anyway. did, Hitch, did Hitch draw that one? Uh, let's see. No, John Cassidy did. Cassidy, that's right. Okay. I knew that there was some kind of Warren Ellis connection. Yeah. This is certainly worse than that issue. Yeah, I think so too. And I said this with Action Comics 1000, and I'll say it again here, I think that these giant anniversary issues would be much better as, like, OGN-style single stories that are momentous or status quo-changing or just special in some way rather than an anthology-style thing that ultimately adds up to a lot of nothing. Mm. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Imagine if this were like... I mean, I would like it better if it were just like a 30-page story about the Guild of Detection and a 20-page story about Arkham Knight if they insisted on making that a thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you you were spot on, I think, that the the Guild of Detectives thing is the one that pays the most homage to Detective Comics as a whole and its legacy and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, a whole, you know, 90 or however, a longer story about that, an actual story about that would have been, I think, a more fitting anniversary may i play devil's advocate for just one second sure do you guys remember that really shitty detective comics issue in the new 52 that would have been the 900th issue but wasn't 
And so it was all based around the number 900. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's what you get when you don't do this issue. Well, mm. that's, that is one thing that you can get. It's DC. It's what you get. <laughs> um, but no, I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with you guys. I really don't. I think that there's, I think there's a place for these oversized anniversary issues. The problem is that we've gotten so many of these as of late that all the good anniversary stories have been taken. Like, if there were... If Action Comics 500 was the last time we had a Superman anniversary issue, and then you get Action Comics 1000, there's a ton of time between there, and all of that is good and dandy. We've had Action Comics... Every 100 issues, Action Comics gets one of these things. Every 100 issues... Superman and Batman were getting these things. Every hundred issues, tech gets these things. And so there's just so many of these stories that are told that it's hard to come up with creative ways to do it. And so what you wind up with is you wind up with stories that examine either pointless little stories or minutia or try and swing for the fences and just flat out fail. You even get them at like weird... What's that... Um... Now I just had it in my head on the tip of my tongue. The the um, it's not Joe the Joe Kelly story with uh, Manchester Black. What was that story oh. called? Do you remember? Uh, um, fuck. Uh, they made the uh, didn't they make a? They they did. Oh crap. I was just yeah. oh yeah okay there okay I've got it yeah it was it, it was seven seventy five and that's like not even an anniversary issue but I, if I recall it was oversized and it was like that type of story you that know that might have been like a sixtieth anniversary issue maybe that's what it was that, yeah you know, like it just works out that the eightieth anniversary of action and tech also coincides with the one thousandth issue. Right. We were getting those tenth, maybe even those fifth anniversary celebrations, mm -hmm. along with the numerical celebrations. Right. Yeah. So you're right. It's a lot of celebrations, maybe too many. Yeah. It also kind of feels like, again, because Tom King kind of has a, a stranglehold on the whole Batman thing that's going on right now, that that you you almost couldn't do something that feels more important or, or uh, represents some kind of sea change for him, you know? Yes. They can't step on those toes. I mean, I guess Arkham Knight is going to be an arc that runs concurrently, but, you know, anything more than that. They're, they're, not, they're, clearly not ask, they're clearly not saying to Tom King, hey, write a story for this that ties into your bat run that, that matters at all. Yeah. Which is weird. And I also think that it's a real missed opportunity that Arkham Knight is the story that's breaking out of this. Because I can't imagine this being a particularly sea-changey moment for the character in any sense. And I think that even just, like, no matter who was writing it, no matter if King's stuff was happening now or not, just introducing this character at this time just seems hokey and opportunistic, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's not even the it's not even the first part of Arkham Knight's story really. It's a a series of pinups of Batman fighting other people and an introduction to an Arkham Knight that we know nothing about. 
if, if somebody picks up the next issue of this, they're not going to have missed anything by not reading this. It doesn't feel important at all. Agreed. You know? Anything else to say about Tech 1000? It's bad. It is. It is. All right, well, let's take a break, and we shall return in just a moment with more DC Freecast. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with a discussion of Action Comics number 1009, written by Brian Bendis, illustrated by Steve Epting. And let me tell you, there is no artist who I enjoy their interiors but dislike their covers more than Steve Epting. I did not care for this cover. Especially when compared with the Francis Manipal variant right next to it. Yeah. It's it's weird. I didn't know that was that is Manipal though. I I did not realize that. When I first looked at it, I thought it looked kind of Now I'm looking at it more closely. I know it's not, but it kind of reminded me of Steve Rude a little bit. The dude the I yes. I I really dislike the the coloring and the shading on both of them. Yeah, like even the manipul art, which I like, I love manipul, but oh, it's just, very like pop arty. It, it, well, oh, it's it's like artificial, like it's I don't know. It's not the real Superman. I know what you're saying. <sighs> Shut the fuck up, God. <laughs> Anyway, this is Leviathan Rising Part 3. We get some Fortress of Solitude action with Amanda Waller and uh, Jimmy Olsen. I have a bold take here, which is I think this might be the best issue Bendis has written of a super title so far. I'm going to counter that by saying that I did not really like this issue very much. Oh, I'm just going to go pop some popcorn. Hang on. <laughs> Why didn't you like this issue? I, I, well, okay. Maybe that's a little, something was off to me. Um, there were a few times actually really, there were just a few times where the dialogue felt really weird to me. Um, okay. I think I'm I'm looking over it again, and I think I got, when I initially read it, I got really hung up on a part towards the very end of the issue. It's when he is coming back to the Fortress of Solitude. And 
it seemed like I was having trouble following some of the dialogue. It seemed like some things were out of place or just didn't really read well to me. Um, that double page spread is very crowded. If that's what you're, it's very crowded. But and like I'd, I'd have to like look at it closely. But there were like some sp- 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 specific parts in the conversation that just felt really weird to me. I will agree that page is very clunky. And like I think part some of it was like. I spent a lot of the issue wondering who knows what, like, which isn't a, a, you know, significant complaint, but it took a little bit to, like, flesh out that, like, okay, Waller knows who they are, and then you, and then, but Jimmy's there, and you get to that double page spread, and and Lois calls Superman, not Clark, honey, but then a few panels later, Jimmy's like where where's mr ken and like (laughs) yeah it was just weird it was really weird to me okay so my my counter to that and i don't think anything you said is like preposterous or anything this isn't a uh a situation where we're gonna get into you know I, this is not here. a hard take. This is not a hard take for me. I I have no qualms with you saying it's the best one. I just felt like this was the first issue in a very long time that played up the like, and this is the thing we we've seen in Bendis's work so far, sort of playing up the interconnectedness of the DC universe, and it's something I really enjoy in his work. But this is the <laughs> first time that I've seen sort of the Gotham City characters and the Metropolis characters interact in a way where it almost doesn't matter where they're from, if that makes sense. Like, there's not a hard line between the Metropolis folks <coughs> and the Gotham folks here. Like, the question just happens to be with Sam Lane. And we get a really nice... Alfred and Clark interaction, you know, there's just, to me, this was a really good melding of the DC universe into a sort of cohesive story. It also <coughs> has a number of my favorite, like, small characters. Like, I love uh, Mr. Bones, Director Bones. Um, I, I'm a big fan, as we all know, of the Tom King, uh, Tim Seeley, Gotham, um, Grayson stuff, so... Spiral is something I really enjoy. Um, the question is obviously great. It's great to see Renee, presumably Renee, back in that role. Um, this just felt like a really good... It, this felt like what a crossover event should feel like in the DC Universe. And I really appreciated that aspect of it. <coughs> Vince, what do you think? Um, yeah, so... Saying that it's the best issue that Bendis has written of Superman, of a Superman thing yet, is a strong take for me because there have been, I can't think of any specifically off the top of my head, but there have been issues before where I've read through them and at the end I just, I made the Italian chef kiss and I went, oh, that was perfect all the way through and that felt like a really, really great comic. And this was a very good comic, um, but it wasn't quite that like 
perfect smooth read that, sure. I, that I that I know I've experienced from other Superman stories. So let me get out of the way the one thing that I didn't like about this issue. And it's a thing that Bendis does a lot in his superhero comics. And maybe I'm overblowing it because really it only it's only a few pages. Um, but Lois is like very pissed at Amanda Waller at the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is going to be a very like specific and esoteric complaint. Like that's okay. Probably, I feel like, I feel like mine was as well. So <laughs> people probably think I'm nuts when I say shit like this. But Bendis writes characters getting mad about something, and then like overdoes it or has them like just go on and on for too long, you know? Or or sure. like or like yeah. get too get like too mad or like too ever you know so that like everything she says is. You know, try not to tweet it out at one point, she says, you know, and like like literally everything Lois says in the first five pages is like, I'm I'm pissed at Amanda Waller and I'm going to tell you how much I am, you know. And I think it's not that her being pissed is inauthentic or annoy. It's not even annoying. I I think the thing I don't like about it is how much of the issue it seems to me like it occupies. And I felt that I feel that sometimes when I read Bendis's writing like okay, we get it. Like this is a this is a comic book where you have 20 pages to give me a story. Give me one page where we can clearly tell that Lois is pissed off and then move on, you know? It's a minor thing, but it's a it's a a pattern that I've seen with Bendis before, you know? It's Can a I thing... build on that a little yeah, bit? Go for it. Yep. I I think to put a little stronger of a finger on the issue I had with this issue. I think his Lois is not written very well in this issue. Which is interesting because I I wouldn't say that about other issues. Right. Like so the the thing that you mentioned and then kind of in that page that I was talking about earlier there the whole Chaz thing kind of came off as like Tom King speak to me. I love that though. <laughs> you liked that? I mean not the way not not the way it was introduced, but like the way she just starts interjecting Chaz out of nowhere. Oh see, I, I love that. Okay. To I'm... me to me that was like she's trying to play it cool in front of Jimmy, essentially. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And uh Clark is just, you know, doofus farm boy who doesn't realize what she's doing. <laughs> And, then, and, it, and it only happens on a page too. It's not like it's ten pages of that. The, the no, thing but I... I mean, like that's. I guess like all that's one of the. I mean, most of the pages with Lois, all the pages are are with her and the fort in the fortress, and that is is a big chunk of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the the thing I like about it, Zach, I I think you're right that it sounds like something Tom King would do. But the, but what I like about it is the payoff is so good. The payoff is great. Yes. And three pages later, you see what Chaz is, and, <laughs> and it's it's so... Chaz is glorious. Yes. Chaz is very good. And and if it were Tom King, they would be going Chaz. I don't want to do Chaz tonight, Lois. We're gonna do Chaz. 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 Alan, and then the, it, or Andy. <laughs> Chaz. Andy. Chaz. Andy. <laughs> and then the issue ends. Yep. Yeah. But no, but 
that that's just a cheap dig at, at Tom King. But but just it really is it's not annoying because to me because the payoff was so good because you know, three pages earlier she's doing the Chaz thing and you're like, what is she talking about? And if the payoff wasn't so good, it would have been like, Well, that was that was annoying then. But when you see that it's this bearded Superman with a just the perfect weave, you guys. <laughs> uh it's so good oh my god like what actor is that that's an actor um no it's the it's the guy who was married to donna troy in the 80s <laughs> do you know who i'm talking about i do i do yes. hang, on, hang on i'm finding a picture of it but i'm thinking of somebody in real life who that's like hall and or oats or something like that <laughs> Terry Long, that's the guy's name. What's Terry Long. He looks like a statue. Yes. Like, 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 a, like a Greek. Yeah. Uh, here we go. He's Terry Long. <laughs> Are you showing us a picture? I am. I'm about to drop it in the chat. So sorry, listeners. Google Terry Long and look for the one where he's saying forever and ever. And you'll see what I'm talking about. He's a he's a brunette Terry Long. Oh yeah, yep, <laughs> yep. It's a great man. Whoever 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 does Chaz's uh, hair is. Yeah. I I think we should all don the chat the Chaz for <laughs> for our next makeover. <laughs> for the next Comic Con we do. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, we should go on Queer Eye and just all we want is that look. <laughs> yeah. I just really dig our heels in and say, nope, this is what I, this is what I this see. This is it. This is yeah. it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to, to another issue because we got lots more comics to talk about tonight. Um, let's see what's next. Let's talk about Dial H for Hero, number one, written by Sam Humphreys. Illustrated by Joe Quinones. Vince, you're the Dial H boy. You want to take this away? <laughs> I am the Dial H boy. And, oh, man, I loved this. Um, this was a delight. I think that Humphreys gets the voices of these characters, these young characters, um, right? You know, I think one one criticism we bring up on the show sometimes because it's a very common problem with um, the way that comic book writers write young characters is that they sound inauthentic or they're purposely going over the top with like uh, hello fellow children, uh, hello fellow teens, Mm -hmm. you know, type, type language. And I think Humphreys doesn't overdo it. I think these sound like normal people who also sound like young people. Um, Brian is going to send me a p- panel that disproves that. Something no. that I th- okay. I heard you typing. <laughs> um, I think this is like the light and fun type of comic that we've come to expect from from Wonder Comics, and it's it's right there with Wonder Twins as like a kind of an irreverent, um, irreverent story that still works as a as a piece of the dcu Uh, i love when the when he's dialing the dial and 
or when the phone is ringing or whatever and he's using the dial and all these different DC characters are feeling the dial being used, you know? Um, I had a question about that. So did I. Go ahead, Zach. It may be the same question, I wonder. Are, are these supposed to be characters who have at some point in history used the H dial? Or are we supposed to assume that all heroes hear this? I don't know. That's not that's not really been a unless there's some old aspect of Dial H for Hero that I don't know about where that was the case. I was gonna say that aside from Robin, there's not a single like traditional hero in the bunch here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I presume that's Maxwell Lord, right? Oh, I thought it was Snapper Car. Oh, it could be Snapper Car. That makes a lot he's, of sense. He, he's snapping. He's snapping. Yep. Um, yeah, I just, I, I mean, I don't know where all the H dial has shown up before. I, I could see it being a, a very fun, a very fun callback to highlight people throughout history who have used it. But it also, I mean, I don't know if it's been a thing where like everyone knows when it's being used because they're getting rung up to where you know their power could be used i just i mean alfred doesn't have any powers except right. he neither does a Damien. classy man he can make great cucumber sandwiches <laughs> um, but then like the the best thing about the issue though is the reveal of him as monster truck how do you think that uh compares to um lacrimose what's this uh oh. was it from from dial from h? the first yeah from the first issue of dial h because it's a really similar reveal i feel like i mean lacrimose was something else see i saw this as being very similar to uh, a very minor simpsons character which is trochosaurus <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Monster Truck doesn't look like Lacrimose at all. If if that's what you're. No, I just mean like, it's it's the same spirit. I think. What do you a, mean? A, like a, just an absurd hero that is played well, to the played to eleven. I think that's. I think that that is what Dial H is historically. It, it is, but I I guess I'm just asking. Does this work for you as well? Oh yeah, it's what, I mean, what I'm asking. Like, is is that panel looks like it looks like a freaking like Kirby drawing, or even more like it looks like a it looks like a '90s X-Men. Yep. You know. It does. Yes. It looks like Alan Davis or something. Um. Yeah, I love it. I love that it's it's there's not there's not much to it. It's not like this is like a brilliant story or like amazing comic booking, but, but the monster truck segment, I, I think is kind of amazing. It's from like a classic superhero comics look and feel something about the, something about the coloring, the tones that are used, um, the style of the action just really evokes this. There's like cross hatching over his face at one point. It's totally nineties in a way that, that absolutely works. Um, so yeah, I adored this. 
Zach, what about you? Yeah, no, I thought this was really, really good. Um, I know Sam Humphreys hasn't always been a favorite of the DC3 cast, but much like we all enjoyed to varying degrees that first issue of Harley Quinn or mm-hmm. that first arc that he did, I, I feel like this is a case of just a book being a good fit for him. And it doesn't hurt that the art is really, really good. Yeah, the art is is great here. Um, I hate to be that guy, but I, I think I'm just not a Dial H guy. Mm. Oh. And, um, you know, it's fine. It's um, there's nothing wrong with it. It just, to me, it the concept just doesn't do it for me. I liked everything in this issue until he got the dial. Oh, man. And then I was like, nah, this... I'm, I'm good. I'm good walking away from this. And I, I love a wacky concept. I, I love a random hero thrown in here there. It just doesn't do it for me. And Dang. that's okay. So you, so you don't like Joy, I guess. If that's what you want to call it, sure. <laughs> uh, this is just uh, This is just fine. I'm glad it's out there. I'm glad other folks are enjoying it. I will keep reading it, but I'll tell you. I mean, that's how I felt about the, the China Mieville one, too. Oh, and I, I know them's fighting words for Vince, but... I mean, that's... They're even... fighting words for me, too. I think that's probably the best new 52 run. Hell yeah, buddy. I'm sending you an internet high five right now. Uh, when when I buy into the complete run of Blackhawks and send it to you guys, we'll... Uh... <laughs> We'll have this discussion again but <laughs> no it's just you know it's um it's just a uh it's it's just not for me okay okay i get it you don't you don't like books unless they have rick grayson in it i understand <laughs> i think for me it's just because the uh i, I don't even know if i can if i can if if i can properly explain why like i said i don't don't think it's a bad book i think it was it was enjoyable issue to read but it's not it's just not my cup of tea you don't think anyone could be a hero i understand yep it's (laughs) yeah that's exactly how i feel that's how he feels you you think it's only reserved for special people like the the extremely wealthy i get it it's fine sure Oh, I'll say I'll, I think it's my second favorite issue of the week. After Heroes in Crisis, right? Yeah. Well, let's not delay the uh, the, the praise from Zach anymore. Let's get to Heroes in Crisis number seven. We're getting very close to the end here, boys. The end is in sight. Oh. Remember when this was only supposed to be seven issues? Yep. Uh, sure doesn't feel like the end's in sight based on based on this book. Yeah. Uh, this was written by Tom King, of course, illustrated by Clayman, Travis Moore, and Jorge Fornes. What the fuck is happening, guys? To melting pulp that fish would have bright mail. 
the earth its dower of river, wood, and vale. Tom King's got his poem book out, boys. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like we have a lot to say about this. <laughs> okay, I will say this. I I like the fact that this is the first time that Booster and Harley have decided to not just try and kill each other, but talk about stuff. And I thought that the there were a couple of moments within their overall interaction, including Babs and Ted and that, where it just felt like this is the first time since the series began that any characters are just talking to each other and sharing information and not being violently overreactive. So I'll give it that. I just I'm not saying that's yeah, good. I'm just no, saying that's No, you know, you're you're right. I just like don't understand like in what world that like Tom King thinks that characters like Babs or, or Ted Cord are like so looked down on in the in the greater DC universe, especially Babs. Especially Babs, and like just thinking in fact, I mean, like obviously Ted is like one half of like the the Bwahaha Blue and Gold team, but I mean, think about like the gravity surrounding his death in um. It before Infinite Crisis. Yeah, in Trinity. Did you just say the brouhaha for a brouhaha? Um, did I say brouhaha? If I, I did, it, it was a slip. I don't know. <laughs> it's late. It's not even that late. It just feels <laughs> like it. Um. Um. I just want to say that the the dynamic or duo is is something i never want to hear or see again <laughs> i know they did that in the previous issue but um that's terror it it almost when i'm reading it it almost looks like it's racist in some way i know it's not <laughs> but it looks like a, a word that would be <laughs> that doesn't make any sense i know but wow okay uh, <laughs> um <laughs> I, I read that and i think i shouldn't be reading this um, and so like what Wally brought, uh, poison Ivy back to life or what's going on here? <laughs> Is she back uh, to life? I mean, if anyone it's, would just um, explain anything in this, we, it's we would poison know. Ivy, but it's also clearly Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> like look at that panel of her coming out of the flower and look at that face and tell me it wasn't modeled. Hmm. Yeah. I'm just um, ready for this shit to be over so we can deal with the consequences of its fallout and get back to telling better stories. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um What but like okay. Before we move on, we're we're clearly going to get Wally back after this, right? I think so. 
Yeah. So then, does he go back to Titans or? Well, that book's been canceled. So. Do they relaunch Titans with a, uh, with Wally on it? Written by Tom King. Okay. All right. Let's just move on. Um. So, I forget. I think I mentioned this on the show once before that someone I know had read an interview with the Dio or heard the Dio speak someplace where he said only one character is actually going to wind up being dead in all of this. Uh, it's going to um, be Wally. It's going to be Roy, I think. It's probably... I, yeah. I think it's Roy, yeah. yeah. Um, but my question is, like, is Wally's corpse the only one that's five days older than it should be? Or is everybody that way? Is that going to be the workaround here? Like, oh, we can now save everybody. No, I think Wally's going to bring everybody back to life with his new back-to-life powers. Which, how... <clears throat> I, I feel, I I feel like this it. is like a rebirth thing. Like, because there's something about the language he uses when talking to Poison Ivy. Um, let me see if I can find it. Uh, um. Well, I don't know. She says he helped her. I didn't help he you. I hurt you. I hurt and then you. I did this. I don't know. I again, like. I didn't help you. I hurt you. And then I did this. This doesn't make up for the hurt. And it doesn't make up for you just woke. You have life. I'm sorry. You'll have to see this. And she says, I don't understand. Yeah, maybe that's because nobody talks like a human being in this goddamn story to one another. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's sort of my other big question about this story is so much of this story, especially the last, let's call it three issues have been so heavily focused on Wally's family. If Wally is being brought back, his family's coming back too, right? Because that would just be a cruel tease to have them still not there at the end of this. You would think so, yeah. Yeah, you would think so. But then, but then there's also the part of me that thinks, well isn't sort of the the impetus for Wally's suffering that uh, that he doesn't have his family anymore and the basis for him the basis for this entire conundrum they're in is that he he just wanted them back I just wanted my kids back I was gonna say almost uh, yeah. dead yep he's almost dead uh, I'm Tom Jane um, but like so to me to me like the thematic element of Wally's family would be like well you know Wally Wally tried to get them back and it caused this mess so he he'll be back but he's going to have to live life with the weight of not just getting his family back that easily after all of this like he's going to have to work at a relationship again which was kind of hinted at in the rebirth issue the, the very I just, first issue. i just don't want that story i mean i don't want this story i don't want this to be the story that does that like yeah 
Yeah. But I but I feel like this also isn't the story that's just going to set everything right again, you know? Cuz cuz don't you think um don't you think Joshua Williamson gets to write that story? See, to me, there are only two satisfying ways for this to end, which is that they come back or Wally dies. Ugh. To me, having him just like constantly sad, mopey Wally because his family's not there, that's not interesting. I don't know. I hope yeah, Williamson gets to write that story. Or, or maybe this just ends on a somewhat hopeful note for Wally. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. Guess we'll find out in May? Yeah. We'll find out in May. All right, let's talk about Batgirl, number 33, written by Marigreen Scott, illustrated by uh, Elena Casagrande and Scott Godlewski. Vince, you want to talk about this book, so let's let's dig into this for a second. This was a really good issue. Yeah, this was a really good issue. If if you've been out on Batgirl uh, recently and you care at all about Babs or Batgirl or James Gordon Jr., um, you should grab this issue because it's it's really high drama between her and James. And it ties in a bit with what Scott Snyder's doing in the Batman who laughs um, more than a bit, really. Yeah. Especially the end. Yeah. And it's really well done. It's really emotional and um, it's melodramatic, but in like, I don't mean that as like an insult, you know, it's melodramatic in, in the way that good melodramatic superhero comics can be. And, uh, and it looks great too. Uh, Casa Grande and Godlewski are, a uh, couple of excellent artists that that sort of give this thing a really they they heighten the emotion definitely between these characters um really good stuff and and actually by the end of it so basically it's Babs coming to terms with her brother still being around and and maybe coming back into her life again and honestly by the end like I I, I don't think it's clear who you're, whose side you're supposed to be on in that right. argument. So it's it's really well done. Yeah, my favorite bit about this issue is just that you're obviously early on supposed to be on Babs' side. And as it goes along, you're just pulled more and more towards James Jr.'s side. And without really any concrete evidence or anything, it's just... It's just a really well-told story, and it makes you question where your loyalty should be, and it's it's really fun and enjoyable. This is a good comic. Zach, did you read this issue? I didn't, um, just because I'd, I'd sort of been off this book for a little while, just because I didn't really care about that, the kind of first arc with the, uh, the, the villain. I can't remember his name. He, like, broke into those people's houses and killed them and yeah wrote stuff yeah i can't remember but um i hadn't checked in for a while um this looks not to be related to that at all uh so the, i will check this out 
the last few issues have had Jason Bard from Batman Eternal as okay. a relatively major character, and that continues here. But you don't need to know much about that to enjoy this issue. Sure. Um, anything else to add? Mm-mm. All right. Well, that brings us to Shazam number five. Written by Jeff Johns, illustrated by Dale Eaglesham, and is it Marco Santucci? Yeah. It's Marco, right? It didn't sound right in my head. Marco Santucci. So, um, Zach, you wanted to talk about this one. Tell us why. Um, I really, really liked this issue. I think it might have been my favorite issue of the week because it really finally sold me on this. Um, is it seven or six realms? Gee, I'm terrible. Seven, yeah, I think seven, it's seven magic yeah. lands. Yeah, seven magic lands. Um, because I think when it was initially introduced, I was just like, oh, here's another Jeff Johns world building thing where there's this huge mythology and everything comes in sevens. And um, but getting, I mean, we kind of got a tease of it in the last issue when the the characters got, you know, separated. Um, but this issue opening up in the wildlands with Talkie Tawny um, and just kind of how fun that opening segment is. And then really everything that comes after, I just really enjoyed. Um, the art is really great. Um, and I just I like where this is going a lot more than I thought that I would. I mean, we get the game reverse. It's here. It's canon. Um, and then I. I kind of had a theory, which is not like a groundbreaking theory or anything. Um, you know, they've kind of been hinting at who the uh, the seventh member of the Shazam family is going to be. And I, I kind of figured that it might be Black Adam. And then this issue brings him into the story. And so I, I, I'm interested to see where that goes. Yeah. Um, I think I'm getting my, like, 21st century Shazam stories mixed up. I remember there was a part in the Jeff Johns um, Justice League backup where there's a photo of Billy and his father in front of a tiger cage. And we just presumed yes. that that was, was Takitani. But I think I'm confusing it with... Um, who, Jeff Smith's uh, Monster Society of Evil, where like Billy hung out there all the time and talked to the to the tiger, even though he couldn't talk back. Because uh, when I first read this, I was like, "Oh wait a second, I thought we already met Takitani in this." But I think I'm just thinking of that photograph from that run. I do definitely remember the photograph. I've never read the Jeff Smith Shazam, so I can't comment it's on that. It's super fun. Definitely check that out. It's a short read. I think it's three. It's three issues the size of like the um, Cosmic Odyssey or Batman the Cult issues. You know the prestige uh-huh. format issues. They're great. Very very good. Um, but yeah, th- this issue was super fun. I love me some Takitani. Now we have like we've had Hoppy, Takitani, and Uncle Dudley all referenced somehow in these first four issues and that's great that's all the captain marvel 
goodness I want. So that's awesome. Vince, what did you think of this? It was, it was good. Yeah. I, I don't have anything really to say about it um, that you guys didn't already say. But, yeah, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying Shazam. Cool. All right. Well, we have one more book to talk about, and that is the Terrifics number 14, the final issue of Jeff Lemire's Terrifics. Vince, uh, oh, sorry, Joe Bennett illustrates this, written by uh, Jeff Lemire. Vince, Vince did it. Yes, Vince did it. Vince, I did it. I drew it. Vince is the pen name of uh, Joe Bennett. My art looks a lot like Joe Bennett's. Yeah. Uh, so why did you want to talk about this issue, Vincey? Um, well, it's it's the last Lemire issue, right? Yes. I think. It is. Um, okay, yes. And it kind of, it feels like that. It kind of feels like it's it wraps things up on a, on a hopeful note because they stick together as a team. Actually, they're kind of becoming a family. Can you believe oh, that? Oh, I um, can't. <laughs> and <laughs> I wanted to point out that there is a, uh, damn it. I'm going to forget his name now, uh, from beer fest. <laughs> oh, landfill. Yeah. There's a landfill. There's a landfill moment in this, which is basically like, uh, Mr. Terrific found an alternate version of his wife, Paula on a different, his wife, uh, his wife on a different earth. And you know, his, Paula died on his earth. She found her out there on earth, you know, 30, whatever. And then, and brought her back. And basically this issue is like, just treat me like, like you were my wife <laughs> or, or like, uh, like you were my husband, you know, uh, this whole time. And we're just going to like, because some different Michael Holt was my husband. Like I'm going to be, I'm going to be your girlfriend now. You know, yeah. it's very much like a landfill. It, only in superhero comics could this happen. Agreed. Um, uh, but I, I thought it was a really, a really fun issue. A very like classic comics team up to finally beat the bad guys and move on to a different, uh, a different writer. You know, it's, it's one of those issues that very much feels like it's wrapping up all the plans that Lemire had for it and is passing the torch to another writer. Um, and it's kind of everything that was, you know, the Terrifics was a, was an uneven series, but I think this issue is everything that was good about it. Kind of all wrapped into one. Um, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. It also, um, it aside from Phantom Girl, who's new here or newish here at least, all these other characters each got a, either a new or a um, reinstated member of their family at the end of the of this run. So Mr. Triffitt gets his wife back from a different planet. Um, Metamorpho gets his dog, Element Dog. <laughs> we get Offspring back as Plastic Man's son for the first time in a long time. So you know, it's nice to see all the um, sort of all the characters get a little bit more grounding within this universe. I think one of the after effects of the New Fifty Two still is that there haven't been that many stories digging into sort of how the heroes sort of what their lives outside of when you see them pop up like in an event book or a justice league book what their lives are like in any way 
And so this this fills that fills that in for a couple of characters a little bit more, which is nice. Just sort of gives them a bit more of a fuller life for if we're not seeing them for a while, which we're we're going to. This book isn't canceled, but it's nice to see them uh, just given more of a supporting cast, I suppose. Definitely. Anything to add, Zach? Um. I liked this issue a lot more than I think generally I have the last few or like the kind of past the first arc of Lemire's run. And I really hope that this book keeps going for a while under Yang. Um, I hope that it doesn't get canceled after one arc. Um, because I feel like, especially where Lemire has left it off, it's a really great status quo, and I, I don't know. I just really hate to see like this team and this book go to waste. Agreed. Well, boys, you know what time that is, right? Um... Time for this ain't it, Chief. No, I. What time is it? It's time to look ahead to next week. Oh yeah. Um, it's a late week next week. Did you guys see this? I did not see this yet. You see this? Oh, tell me, tell me about you it. See next week? This is, uh, you guys see this? It's uh, it's it's my week. It's it's, it's Edo sized. <laughs> um, Adventures of the Super Sons. Okay. Deathstroke, 42. Dreaming. Female Furies. Green Lantern. Harley Quinn. Justice League. Uh, Suicide Squad Black Files. And Young Justice. That's it. So there's like, I think there's only like five books there I'm going to read. That's a pretty good week. I mean, it's a good week. The, the good books are good, but it's light. I have no problem with it after this marathon week we just had. Yeah. I was promised 22 books a month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, if you want to get in touch with us in between now and next week's show, you can find two-thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Itzenap. I'm at Wilker Fox. If you need I'm vi- somewhere if you can find me, apparently. No, you're you're in your basement constructing a uh, an H dial to try and make yourself a superhero, but unfortunately, you just keep uh, winding up as a Packers fan. Ah, oh, that's there, there. You know, at one time, that was a prestigious thing to be, and it wasn't that long ago. That's true. Um, what superhero would I be? I mean, is jacking off a power? <laughs> Good night, everybody. You're Rick Grayson for sure. <laughs> the Arkham Knight. You're the Arkham Knight. Oh, I have a tummy ache. I'm sorry, bud. We're, we're all low energy, Jeb, tonight. <laughs> yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> Why? 
the Shazam have a micro penis? Well, because he's got Billy Batson's cock.